Now, is Pastor Melody in the house? Um, I need a copy too. (laughs) Okay. I owe ye of little faith. I'm not going to tell you how many copies I made, but it wasn't this many. So thank you for surprising me and building up my faith tonight. Hallelujah. Oh, now I haven't played bass here before and my in-ears fell out right away, Pastor Joshua. And so, and I was having a little trouble with one of those step-ups and then your string broke and yet it was still the sweetest sound. (laughs) How did the Apostle Paul do it when his ears fell out and his string broke? I don't know how he would ever do that. Yep. It's like when my slides don't work on a Sunday, I just claim that scripture. Not by might, not by PowerPoint, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Ooh, bad joke. Okay, we had to start with a little groaner there tonight. Um, I'm Terry Bone. I'm the transition pastor here. You're warming my heart to be here to hear the word of God. And... Um, we have, we have um, a, a teaching tonight, it's number four on the nine kinds of prayer, and uh, I don't know if the whole set of notes are out there, they should be, but I'm going to give you an intro that I have four pages of notes, it's going to be a Bible study, okay? I like it when we don't have to make um, apologies for just getting into the Bible and, and doing the work, right? And um, so here we are. I want to ask you a question. Can we bind Satan? Can we bind Satan? Just think about it. Okay? And if you say yes or you say no, give me a reason. Okay? If we say, thank you so much. If we say yes, what's your scripture for it? How about we go to Revelation 20? Revelation 20, almost the last chapter in the Bible. says, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key. Everybody say key, key. Okay, that's going to be a key word tonight. Uh, To the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So in the future, there will come a time, and this is not an eschatology class tonight, when the millennium takes place, how it you know, relates to the rapture, and do we literally physically come back and reign for a thousand years? Great questions for another time. But in the future, in the process of... Jesus taking back the rulership of this earth, in that process, there will be a time when Satan is bound. A strong angel with a key and with a chain will chain him up and he will not be allowed to be, as Peter says, prowling around like a lion. He'll not be allowed. Uh, I don't know what that would look like. I don't know what life would look like. Does that mean none of his henchmen, none of his demonic sidekicks could tempt us? Perhaps that's what it means. Perhaps there will be a period of time where we don't even have the possibility of being tempted. 
Wow. But whatever it is, that's future. Satan is not bound now. In fact, if you want to know where Satan is, and I'll actually be teaching this in Nepal to a bunch of hungry um, young adults, uh, students of the word, about 70 of them, and about two weeks from today, I'll be there, and uh, they asked me to come and teach on spiritual warfare. There's, there's a lot of spiritual activity in these kind of countries. Bangladesh, Bhutan, Thailand, uh, Nepal, Pakistan are some that I've been in the last year and a half. There's a lot more kind of heightened, out front, in your face spiritual activity. And uh, they've come to ask me to teach on spiritual warfare. Now I want to give you a little tip. The easiest chapter in Revelation to decode or decipher after you get past the first three chapters where it's just messages to the church. John gets caught up into the third heaven, into the throne room area where the Father himself dwells. The easiest chapter after that to decode is chapter 12. Because Revelation is actually not entirely sequential. It's like a series of vignettes. Some of it is, some of it isn't. And different people have their way to, to treat it. But Revelation 12 is an extremely important chapter. It is probably, for me, the foundational chapter for a New Testament Christian to understand uh, when it comes to what's going on in the spiritual realm. So if this tonight takes two weeks, we'll take two weeks because I'm here next Wednesday again before I, I have to be overseas for a bit. But I, I want to I take time, I was going to do this in one uh, session, but I think I want to take some time to talk about uh, where is Satan now? Because that's been a confusing, a confusing uh, bit of theology for centuries. I grew up in a standard brand church going there once in a while and the devil had a pitchfork and a red tail and some horns and he lived down there and God lived up there. And I was hoping somebody up there could hear my prayers and I was hoping the person, the whatever he is down there, couldn't see me. And that whole idea of the devil being in hell is actually not theologically correct. He's not there yet. Do you know where he used to be? In heaven. you have a scripture for that? Job chapter 1. Before the cross, it says that Satan came and presented himself to the Lord. And the Lord says, where have you been? He says, ah, I've been on roaming around on earth. See if I can stir up some mischief. Seeing who I can, you know, get my hands on. And the Lord says, have you seen my servant Job? Nobody like him. Satan says, oh yeah? That accuser of the brethren? He starts accusing Job. Yeah, he just serves you because you bless him. Take away all his blessings, like all his riches and wealth. Let's see. So God says, you're on. Now, I don't know if I want to be the chips in that poker game. <laughs> Can I say it now? I don't know if I want to be the one that's being used to prove, you know, who's stronger here, the Lord or the devil. But God bless Job because he went through some of the worst trials, but yet God rewarded him in the end. And there's there's so many messages in that book, so many messages. But what I want to say is in the old covenant, before Jesus died, Satan had access to the very throne of heaven. Now, if you want to go deeper in this, 
uh, you can do uh, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Isaiah 14 talks about Lucifer, and he was the light bearer. Light. Lucifer. Now he's the prince of darkness. But he used to be named after light. And it said he got proud in his own heart. I will ascend. I will be like the most high. I will be this. So the five I wills. Isaiah 14 gives you a little vignette of how sin was born in the universe. It was born in Satan's heart. And he can't be redeemed because he caused sin. You and I can be redeemed because the origin of sin in our life is someone else. The inheritant tendencies from Adam and Eve and also the deception of the devil himself. And so as we were deceived by an outside force, we can be redeemed by an outside force if we call on the right spiritual force. Is everybody with me now? This is already pretty deep. Okay. But also Ezekiel 28, and this is somewhat conjecture, but it's pretty, pretty agreed upon by most scholars. It talks about the prince of Tyre. And, and he's talking about a prince, and all of a sudden he says, you were perfect, and you were in the Garden of Eden. Well, time out. The prince of Tyre wasn't in the Garden of Eden. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the spirit behind that ungodly leader. Now, did Jesus ever do that when he was on earth? Remember when Peter said, don't go to the cross? He, he didn't turn around and says, oh, come on, Peter, let me teach you the right way. He turned and addressed Satan through Peter because Satan was giving Peter the idea. And that was a, a temptation that Jesus could find some other way than the cross to fulfill God's will. So Jesus turns around and looks through Peter to the spirit that's speaking to him. Not Peter, but the spirit. So in the same way, the Bible's speaking to the spirit behind that prince of Tyre. And it says, you were perfect. You were wonderful and beautiful. And it says, there was music in your sockets and settings in one, one version. What I'm saying is, some people think that it's talking about that built into his very nature were musical instruments. That Satan was actually heaven's worship leader. And one day he looked in the mirror and just like Ted Burgundy on the Anchorman, he goes, I'm looking good, real good. Some of you know what I'm talking about, famous line. Um, I'm looking good today. I'm looking a lot like God. In fact, every time heaven worships, they ask me to lead. Well, maybe I don't need this guy. Maybe I can just lead everybody. And maybe they'll worship me. Because I'm the one leading worship, so worship me. So it makes a lot of sense, and it's exegetically sound, to say that the accuser of our brethren the prince of darkness, once upon a time used to be the light-bearing worship leader. And it even says guardian cherub. He used to be the guardian of earth and the worship leader full of light. Well, then he got proud and he became the destroyer of earth, the accuser of the brethren, and the prince of darkness. That's what happened. And so, by the time Adam and Eve come on the scene, and God says, I'm going to make this uh, 
these, these people in my image, and they're going to rule over earth. Genesis 1, 26. Genesis 1, 28. So he blessed them and told them, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the animals of the earth. I'm giving you the role of being general managers over earth. Well, Satan flipped out. Hey, this used to belong to me. You created those bags of dirt. That was a pun. You created those bags of dirt and put your spirit in them and gave the earth to them. No way, I'll show you. So he again inhabits an animal to try to disguise himself and starts talking and deceives them. So they give their authority back to Satan. Ooh, what a smooth move. What a trick. We were given authority in this earth. And then through being tricked by Satan, he got it back. So guess what? Give me the keys. And he goes back to heaven saying, the earth is mine again. Yeah, yeah. So he has the right to go into the heavenly places, but now he's a bad dude. So he's up there criticizing God's creation. So you've got quite a conflict going on. You've got good and evil. And you know, there's been people like C.S. Lewis, uh, the great 20th century theologian who will be studied for years to come, and others like him, who read these words and, and, and read other theologians' explanations, said there's no better explanation for good and evil in this world. There, there's, there's no better, more logical reason why we would be in this mess. So how many people uh, wish you'd stayed home and watch TV already? This has gone too far. No, don't put up your hand if you feel that way. We're powering through that. What we're saying is he used to be protector of the earth, full of light, became proud. Now he's accuser of the brethren. And he's, I believe, personally, just my thing, viruses are demonic. They shift, they shape shift, they always do something bad, they mimic other things, they go in and, and, and pollute and destroy. I, I literally believe this is the work of the devil on earth as part of his regained authority that he's putting viruses and disease. And part of our regaining authority is to come against them in the name of Jesus. So when you get sick, don't say God did it. Yes, God can use anything. But Jesus never once in all the Gospels said, God put, gave that disease to you. He did. He, 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 he went to war when people got sick. He went to war with a lady that had been bleeding for 12 years. He, called, he said, she's been bound by the devil. Bound. We're talking about binding and loosing and keys and authority tonight. Jesus looked at sick people with tears in his eyes, compassion in his heart, and he says, they're bound. My brother-in-law just died last year after 20 years of a heart transplant. And do you know what a heart transplant does to you? He already had, he already had a, a certain disease that causes heart to, to weaken. And for 20 years he had heart, but to keep your heart from being rejected, they give you anti-rejection drugs. Do you know what that does? Zeroes your immunity. So for 20 years, he would catch anything and everything floating in the room. By the time he passed away, I don't know how many things he had and what he looked like and what was growing on his body, and he never complained. He loved Jesus. 
Hallelujah. He's healed and whole today. But you're not going to tell me that that's the work of God on somebody's body. You're not going to tell me that. Yes, the kingdom can come. And our, we're eternal beings and we can overcome that. But the devil's doing a work on the planet, on, the bo- on our bodies. And death is still the last enemy to be defeated. And it's coming. So there is a, there is a, there is a, a battle going on all the time in the spiritual realm. Now, the problem with talking this way is sometimes people leave looking for a demon behind every tree and every signpost. I need to get home. That light turned red. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Go green. Listen, when I first became a Christian, I know people that were almost like that. And everything was demonic. And uh, um, it's not healthy. It's not correct. It's not right. But in, in Revelation 12, and you can read it all another time. No, you know what? We got to read up to at least verse 11. Okay. Uh, a great wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so she might devour, he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God in his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, the dragon, was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Now isn't this great? It even starts to interpret itself before you get to verse 10. So, a great and wondrous sign. A woman clothed with the sun. Who's that? Israel. The woman is Israel. And crown of 12 stars on her head. What does that represent? 12 tribes. And she was pregnant and gave birth to a male child. Any guesses? Sunday school answer here. Jesus, right? Every answer in Sunday school is Jesus, right? Isn't that true? You heard that story about the little kid? You know, when the, the teacher was trying to make an analogy about a squirrel. And so she says, hey kids, what's black and furry, has a big bushy tail and gathers nuts? And everybody's looking around. Finally, one child puts up his hand and says, uh, uh, you know, excuse me, teacher. I know the answer should be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> every answer is Jesus so in this case yes it's Jesus he's a male child who was given birth from the tribes of Israel and obviously he'll rule the nations with an iron scepter her child was snatched up to God in the throne what's that talking about resurrection ascension 
Acts chapter 1. He's back where? Back in heaven. Okay. Then the woman fled into the desert to a place prepared by God where she had remained 1260 days. What's 1260 days? Three and a half years. A lot of people start getting into the seven year period of the tribulation. Anybody like me? I cut my teeth in, in church on all those charts. You know, the, the big charts of the prophecy and the dispensations and everything. Well, this is where we get into these complicated explanations. I'm not going to say they're wrong, but I do want to tell you something that did actually happen right after Jesus was resurrected. For about three and a half years, uh, about that time, it says, uh, where she was taken care of, when the temple was destroyed by the Romans shortly after uh, the time that Jesus was risen from the dead. In that time, it was about 1,200 days that the remnants went to Masada and held out until they were finally, the Romans built the ramp, 10,000 soldiers came and destroyed the last stronghold of the Jews as their own group of people. After that, they were dispersed. They were no longer given their rights, you know, to, to rule their land. So, I believe that that probably has one or two or three fulfillments. But one is the immediate natural physical fulfillment where they were protected. Um, We can talk more about that another time. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought. Dragon and his angels fought back. And then it says, you were hurled down. Now here's why I believe in my interpretation for the 1260 days. I heard this just recently by a man I respect in the Lord saying, well, one day Satan will be hurled down. You know, during the tribulation, there will be a big rumble. Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. Satan has already lost his place. Because when Jesus went back, what did he have? The something of death. The keys. Because what he did was by living the perfect life that Adam didn't, he bought back the authority over the earth for people. People had given it to Satan. He came and lived the life that no one could and said, I just bought it back for you guys. And he went to heaven and said, Sorry, you no longer uh, have a right to be here because you're no longer the ruler of earth. You have to get out of here. Well, you know what it's like. Uh, If you're a landlord and you're trying to evict a tenant that doesn't pay the rent, You don't walk up to the door and say, sorry, you have to leave. And they say, okay, I'm gone. There's a bit of a fight. (laughs) Squat, lock the door. Hope you've never been in that situation. But that's what happened to the devil. He's like, no, I'm not leaving. Oh, yes, you are. Who's with me? A third of the angels. Aren't you glad we have twice as many as he does? (laughs) And they fought. And I believe... That was while they were waiting for the Spirit to be poured out. That was literally happening. Ten days. In that ten days, Satan was no longer... He was already roaming the earth, but he always had the keys to get back up there. He was no longer allowed in the throne room. And what happened then? By the way, we see him up there in Job 1, but in Revelation 4... Do we see the devil up there? No, we see the saints, we see the martyrs, we see the, uh, 
we see the elders, we see the, the 24 elders, the four living creatures. We see a worship scenario, much different than in the book of Job, and Satan's not allowed in. And that's one of the reasons they're so happy. And it even says this. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of our Christ, for the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before God day and night, has been hurled down. Let's go to verse 12 and end with verse 11, please. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Yay! He won the victory, and we have all the results up here. Oh, but by the way, earth, by the way, woe to the earth and sea because the devil's gone down to you and he's filled with fury because his time is short. Uh, you guys are going to have to take the keys and do your own battle because it's not done. One day he will be bound and put in the abyss and the victory that is now present in heaven will be fully present on earth. But we're in the now but not yet time. We're in the in-between time where positionally we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, where relationally it's as if we haven't sinned. But in, 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 uh, in our day-to-day -day living, we're still in the battle. It's just that we are guaranteed of a good ending whether we die in the midst of the battle or not. And I do work for Voice of the Martyrs, and I will be over in um, Asia when I'm there. And uh, I've had a friend martyred. And I understand that some people do die in this battle. But they're, they're immediately at the throne. So, what happened? Satan got their body a bit early, but he didn't touch their soul. So, we do have the victory. We, we are all going to be around the throne. And, and Satan in his worst, his worst uh, uh, attempts cannot keep us from going there. So in that way, we've already won. But there's battles here. There's sickness still. There's, there's disappointments. There's broken relationships. There's financial anxiety. We have to live here on earth. But whenever I hear a Christian say, I'm only human, I go, uh-uh. You're not only human. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. There's a lot of human beings out there hoping for a spiritual experience. But you and I, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Who we are is who God says we are. Where we're going is right here. And the rest is just a mop-up operation. But if you have the keys and you don't know how to start the car, you're going to have to take a bus. <laughs> So we better learn, or walk, we better learn how to use the keys of the kingdom. Is everybody with me tonight here? Like, this is about authority. But it really helps if we understand theologically why. When I rehearse this, and then I go to pray, it's just like, the devil can't mess with my mind anymore. Because he knows that I know. He can't just start, nya, 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 about this and that. I know I'm forgiven, I know what God wants to do, and I can pray with authority. If you were here the first night, I told you about the, 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 one of the very few times in my life I addressed Satan. When, when, my, when my sister 
had tried to commit suicide and the police couldn't find her and there was a note and we thought maybe she was gone and I just took authority. I used the keys of the kingdom because I have influence in my family and, and she had at one time had said yes to Jesus and I called on that and said she belongs to the Lord and I refused to let the enemy have her at that time. And three of us prayed that way. Myself, my wife, and my wife's mom who was a real prayer warrior. And my sister's here today and she's better than she's ever been. She's clothed in their right mind, knows the Lord. And this is 30 years later and there's, there's better days to come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There are times when we just know. Yeah, there's times when we just know. I know I'm, I'm kind of getting to the end. This is what I should say at the end, but I've told you before, at this age, thoughts are visitors, not residents. And, and I have to answer the door when they knock, or I might, they might be gone when I need them later. <laughs> so if you'll forgive me for being a little out of sweet sequence <laughs> in this one. But it's like with children, if you're praying for children, no matter what situation they're in. I'll never forget in Mississauga, at the time Mississauga Gospel Temple, and we had our third child, and people in church were telling, oh, three children, you had them close. You're going to have three teenagers at the same time. Oh, oh, I got you. And they, they're prophesying trouble on my life. Hey, that's your story. Don't prophesy it for me. Whew, pardon me, I'm getting a little hot on that one. Don't just throw up all your unbelief on my life. I don't, I don't receive that in Jesus' name. We can say that, you know. I, I just, I'm sorry that you've had that experience. I don't receive that in Jesus' name. And I mean, they were trying to preach fear into our lives. Then one lady got up in a prayer meeting, and I, I'll tell you, she was from the Caribbean. I don't know where. But she got up because back in those days, our church was very... Baptocostal, you know, you'd come, you'd come in the in the doors, and it'd be like clapping or non-clapping section, you know. <laughs> Raising one hand was okay, but both hands, whoo, they're a bit fanatic. Uh, so it was a very mild, mild church. So we had prayer meeting. We're all praying those nice, polite prayers, the Canadian style, God's chosen, frozen, and then, and then this lady gets up and she starts wailing on it for her backslidden son. And she's just like, I don't know what his name was. I'm going to call him Henry, okay? If anybody here is, has a child named Henry, forgive me. But you know about Henry, Lord. When he was born, he looked like this. And then when he did this, he went to Sunday school. And, and he knows you. And Lord, you know that I told you when Henry was born, I refused to raise a child for the devil. And she just went after God like that. And whew, something landed on me. I remember it to this day. Something went in. Hey, I don't have to be afraid. I'm not going to live in denial, but I don't have to be afraid. I refuse to raise a child for the devil. And I have prayed that prayer 500 times, 1,000 times, 1,500 times. I don't know. But I've prayed that prayer since. And I have, I have three kids with eight grandkids, and they know Jesus. I've got two grandkids that just got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and my granddaughter preached the youth service at 15. And I'm like, okay, not everybody's got that gift. we got a whole host of preachers and teachers, so she's got the gift, fine. But you know what? They know the Lord. And, and 
And my kids experienced the Holy Spirit when they were teens. I was just talking to them recently. I said, how come you guys have never doubted the faith? I said, I know you sin. You don't tell me when you do. But still, how come you've never doubted? And they're like, well, we knew because we experienced the Holy Spirit. Sure, we got to teach him. we got to do all that. But we have to experience the Holy Spirit for ourselves. And that's what's going to go against the rest. So my daughter, is this okay to talk this way? Okay. So my daughter's talking to me last night. They just found a new church that's closer to home. She's got six kids in North Carolina. And she's all about making sure they, they're raising the ways of the Lord without fear, not fear-based parenting. But she says, I took them to these, we were having these Saturday night prayer and revival meetings. She says, and the young, the youth leader got up, raised by two lesbians in an unbelieving home and got saved and filled with the Spirit is now preaching the gospel. Believes the Bible totally to be the, the word of the Lord, is preaching it. And she's just like, like we got to stop being afraid that because the world believes this and that, and don't, don't, don't go... F- don't get lost in politics. Vote for the right person, but don't get lost in that. That's not our kingdom. That's not where we're going to get the most results. Even if we got all the Christian politicians, you know, that's not going to bring, it's not going to bring the glory of God into your family. And I'm just like, yeah, we, we are going to, I'm going to tell you, see, I'm believing that part of the next move of God is going to be the glory of God showing up in the LGBTQXYZ community. I, I'm sorry, I never get it right. You know what I'm saying? LGBTQ plus. Okay. Um, uh, I love them. They may not understand who they are. They may never have had a chance for God to, to uh, or the gospel. But we today have preachers of the gospel that grew up in those kind of homes. And, and it's, it's not a problem for God. He can show up. I have, I have former Muslim friends in Bangladesh. Who just read the gospel of John once. And they got to John 14. They said oh that's the guy I want to follow. We just put out another $10,000 worth of Bibles. Through these uh, two countries. because And we do easy reader versions. Because the Holy Spirit. Energizes the word. And somebody that's been. Ten generations Muslim says, I love Jesus. Like, we got an unfair advantage. We are the only ones that have the Holy Spirit on earth. These other people have a few demons trying to help them. But we have the Holy Spirit himself. Plus twice as many angels. We do have authority. I'm hoping to preach a bit of faith in you tonight. And and get the fear out of the room. And the reason I believe this is because of what we're talking about and because it works. <laughs> and so in, it says in verse 13, the dragon saw he'd been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman. So he's always after Israel. Hello? Israel's always being hated. He's always after Israel. And, and it says she was taken um, into the desert. I'm sorry. When I did the 1260 days. This is where, this is where I meant. Times time and a half a time. In the desert. I, I, I gave you the right uh, uh, story for the wrong verse. Okay. 
Uh, that's where I believe it was in Masada. But from his mouth, the servant spewed water to overtake the woman, sweep her away, but the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river. I'm not sure what that means, except the idea that even when he tries to use natural disasters and things on the earth, uh, God is preventing them. Uh, there's probably a deeper meaning. But verse 17 is the one that you and I have to really pay attention to. Verse 11 and verse 17. Because the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the reason you are troubled so much is you are a target because the enemy cannot get at Jesus. He cannot get back. Israel's always protected, drives him crazy that he can't snuff out Israel. And it's the only nation in history, history that lost their land, their language, and their Lord. And centuries later, got back their language and their land and soon their Lord. My missionary friend in Israel said when he arrived, there was a hundred Messianic Jews in the 80s that they knew of. Today, there's several thousand, and it's really causing a ruckus. And I believe there will be tens and tens of thousands in the days ahead. So, he can't snuff out Israel, so he turns around to the other ones who believe in Jesus, and it drives him crazy. It's not a coincidence why Jesus Christ is a swear word in the mouth of many. It really bothers him. Why, do you, why can't you pick something else? Someone else. Why do you have to use that? So he's mad at the enemy. Like, let's face it. You know, you got a billionaire and you want some money? Kidnap his kid. Then he's going to do what you say. So the enemy's after the king's kids. He's after the father's beloved. And that's you. So what do we do? It's all there in verse 11. I make all my guys overseas and I have eight workers in Bangladesh. I make them all memorize this and tell it back to me. You got to know this. They, meaning the believers, overcame him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. In other words, by faith in the finished work of Christ, by the blood of the lamb means all those verses in 12. Like we know the story, how the blood, the story of the gospel and the word of your testimony. The word of your testimony is the key in the lock. The blood of the lamb created the key, but the key's nothing unless you know which key to put it in. I was given a whole set of keys when I, I came here in this church, and I have these keys. And it took me about seven minutes to get into my office the first time because I didn't know which key to use, which way to turn it, and it had this little thing that you had to push the door while you turn it. And then the office opens. Nobody told me that. So the hallway was dark, and I'm like this... Because I didn't know how to use the keys. And I want us, through prayer, through our theological understanding, through our personal experience, and through the leading of the Holy Spirit, I want us to learn how to use the keys. The keys of the kingdom. Let's pray. If, let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to learn how to use the keys that you've put in our hand. Amen. Amen. Okay, I've almost used up our time on the introduction tonight. But all kidding aside, I feel like that theological underpinning is really important for what we're going to say. So now let's go to your notes. Do you have the notes, the first page? Okay. There's another page which you won't get tonight. The keys of the kingdom represent delegated authority. 
So let's look at the verse, Matthew chapter 16. Very important ones. Please memorize Revelation 12, 11, if you're serious about this. Read it through again and realize the victory has been won, but we're in between times. Okay, uh, Matthew chapter 16, and in the region of Caesarea Philippi, verse 13, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, other Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of our prophets, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, by my Father in heaven. Okay, so chapter 16, Matthew, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Turn over to Matthew chapter 18. Verse 18, so 16, 18, and 18, 18. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, we need the context, because a text without a context is a pretext. We need to know what was the setting in which Jesus said that. At first, he's talking about the rock of revelation. Now, how many have been to Israel here? Okay, have you been to Caesarea Philippi? Okay, where it's that kind of rock and there's, there was a, a river that came out of it. It kind of came from out of, gra- out of ground. It was like a, I don't know how tall. It's not that tall, but it's like a, a rock face uh, formation. And so the ancient people thought it was some sort of gate into the netherworld. And so they came and sacrificed animals and even people there. They thought it was a gateway into the spirit world. And Jesus was there or near there when and and if they weren't looking at it when he said these words they all knew it was there so it was in their mind if it wasn't right in their field of view at that moment and he said gates of hell hell can't prevail i'm going to give you something that's going to overcome all these spiritual powers and so the first context that it's used in is delegated authority is there spiritual, uh, demonic forces? I'm going to give you authority over that. And you're going to be able to bind and loose. And now, remember this. Authority can never be taken. It must be given. You can have power without authority. Power without authority is ungodly power. And it will, it will sooner or later destroy. But authority must be given. And if it's given, it must be given by one who has authority. And Jesus' last words before he rose from the dead was, All authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. I'm giving you some of my authority. Isn't that awesome? So, what is it? How can we use it? What can we do with that? So, first of all, it's with authority. Secondly... In verse, in chapter 18, it's in the context of people sinning against each other and forgiveness. So there's two things binding and loosing is mentioned, only mentioned twice, and one is in the context of 
<coughs> delegated authority over the evil spiritual realm. Secondly, uh, the idea of forgiving people. And I want to just cut to the chase here and, and, and suggest, I already said about it's about authority, but the master key, because he did say keys, the master key is forgiveness. It opens or shuts the kingdom of God in your life and others. And this scripture and other scriptures give us the context that when you choose to not forgive, you actually slam the lid on your own soul to receive from God. Because of free choice, I don't like to say free will because our wills are all bent out of shape and desiring the wrong things, but we can choose. So because of free choice, if you choose to not enter the process of forgiveness, you are slamming the, the, the front door of your soul shut and the kingdom of God cannot create presence in your life you will be devoid of the presence. There is no one who is living in, um, aware that they're living in unforgiveness, who just has full of joy overflowing. It, it, just, it just cannot happen. And so forgiving is hugely important for yourself. It's also important for others. And when Jesus says, if you forgive the sins of others, they're forgiven. If you don't, they're retained. What he's talking about there, not that you can forgive for someone else, but he's saying the impact of your unforgiveness on other people is going to impact the accessibility to all that God has for that person. You're really messing it up for you and that person when you choose to be in unforgiveness. Now, I believe that forgiveness is a process. I believe it involves your mind, your will, and your emotions. It starts with, as a choice. When people say, forgiveness is a choice. Mm, it starts as a choice. You go into 2 Corinthians, and when, when Paul describes godly sorrow and repentance, he talks about longing to put things right, uh, uh, um, you know, a love for justice, a, a, um, you know, a real agony over what you did like there's a lot of emotion in this but forgiveness begins with a choice and then your mind begins to see uh, what what God can do and why you got in this and then finally your heart comes along so that's a that's a half hour teaching for another day but forgiveness being ready to choose and if you can't forgive all you have to do is say Lord I want to forgive I choose to start it. I'm not going to try to pretend I feel good. I still hate that person, but I choose to forgive. Show me what you... Yeah, that's how you feel, right? So you tell the Lord how you feel. You can tell God anything as long as you stick around long enough to hear what he says back, right? We talked about that with Habakkuk. So tell him how you feel. Get it out there and then say, now what do you want to tell me about that, Lord? And uh, we choose and then he begins that process. The stakes are high. So binding and loosing. Before we go binding the devil, which is an inaccurate prayer, or binding and loosing this, binding and loosing first needs to be applied to our own soul in the area of forgiveness.
and repentance. Because Jesus said, the devil's coming, he said, on his last night on earth, but he has nothing in me. I love that. He has no handles. He has no legal rights. He has no way to access me. There's no, there's no sin. There's, no, there's nothing unrepented because he didn't have to repent. But there's, there's no... There, there, he's got nothing in me. He can't touch me. And you can live that way too. You can live in light of the presence so that the enemy can't. Submit, resist, he'll flee. And your no to the devil is only as strong as your yes to the Lord. Your no is only as strong as your yes. And your resistance is only as effective as your submission. We try to resist without submitting. So, well, I forgive them, sort of, but I'll never forget. And then we're praying away against the devil. And do, forget your spiritual warfare prayers if you're in any level of unforgiveness. Just, just don't bother. Just go watch the Super Bowl or something. You know, it's, 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 it's not going to work. And I've seen a lot of that. The secret sin we know of leaders that have been outed after years of and I, I, to tell you the truth, I still don't get it. I don't get how you can be in my position and be living that long with a whole secret life. I don't get it because although I, I, any of us are capable of that, I just know what brings the presence of God in my life. And I know it wouldn't be there. And I just can't imagine living that long without my Lord Jesus Christ being close and pouring his spirit out and pouring his spirit through me. That's, that's, it's worth any sacrifice. So I'm just preaching and getting happy here. The binding and loosing. Let's go back to our notes. Key scriptures, 16, 18, 19, 18, 18. I'll give you the key, keys the he, of heaven and earth. Now, interesting. In both cases, if you are a Greek scholar. Who here reads Greek? I guess the previous pastor did, but <laughs> they're Greek, right? Pastor Dino and Nadia. But I don't read Greek, but I've studied this many times and looked at the commentaries and looked at the interlinear Bible and read the people who do know it. And everyone says it's actually a footnote in most Bibles. It's that solid. When it says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven... People take that. I, I'm very familiar with word faith teaching. I've been involved in a lot of what people call hyper faith. Because I'm a faith guy. I, I, I really am. I live by faith. And I need so much more money than is committed to me every month to do what we do overseas. You know, my idea is if you're going to believe for $1,000 that you don't have, well, believe for 10000 <laughs> It's still faith. And God showed up on every one of our projects. So, I believe in all the faith, but it's been misread as, well, we've got the word. I've heard preachers say this. You might know the name of this dear, uh, dear one who's on TV. The word's there. Pick your scripture and claim it. He's got to do it because he's bound to his word. So now that he's spoken, I get to be the center of all my prayers. I get to pray... My Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your uh, name. My will be done as I wish it was in heaven. Your kingdom come, my will be done. That's kind of what that prayer is saying. 
It doesn't start with you picking something to bind and then heaven, oh, contractually, I got to pay for this because it's in the word now. No, 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 no. It actually says whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. It's, I think it's called the aorist tense. It's a tense that we don't have precisely in English. That's why it has to be a compound phrase. What it means is, if you do it on earth, that means it's already been done on he- in heaven. So what we need to do is find out what's been bound in heaven. What's been loosed in heaven. So, for example, I love it when people pray, Lord, you know there's no cancer in heaven. There's nobody sick with cancer in heaven. So in the name of Jesus, I call in heaven on this person right now. Your will be done. Kingdom of heaven come on whoever it is. I think that's good praying. And I'm praying that we're going to see a lot more results for that. Once in my ministry, I've done that in the middle of a sermon, a service, and seen the person instantly healed of stage four cancer. Once. Man. I want to be able to stand up here five years from now and say, you know what? It's been happening every year. Every year of my ministry, we're seeing that now. I want to see that. And one thing I do believe in is, here's, I have... I have a word of knowledge about when the Lord's returning. Did you know that? I have a word of knowledge. Do you want to know? Tonight, we're closer than we've ever been. Challenge me on it. And the closer he gets, Isaiah says, of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. So, let's put those two things together. The closer we get, the more increase. I don't believe in revivals. Like, well, back then in the Welsh, you know, in the Welsh revival, Evan Roberts prayed and God moved and we got to pray like Evan Roberts. Well, maybe or maybe not. But it's not like it used to be good because we were obeying. Now we're a bunch of rebels. No, 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 no. Peter said, repent. And times of refreshing will come. Times of refreshing. What we call revival, the Bible calls times of refreshing. Until he restores all things. We can expect frequent times of refreshing until the entire restoration. That's when the devil's bound and, and sin's gone. We should expect times of refreshing. Meaning, and he was comparing it to the day of Pentecost. We should expect more of that. We should expect it to be more widespread, stronger in intensity, and more frequent. More Lord. Say it with me, say it with me if you dare. More Lord. More times of refreshing. More intensity. Yeah. And in more places. In Jesus' name. But we're going to need to learn how to use the keys. So, binding and loosing. First of all, we loose the kingdom of God in our own life by forgiveness and submission. We set loose the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if you came in 
and prayed for somebody that you know and said, I just loose the power of God in your life now in Jesus' name as you felt led, I'd say that's a lot better than trying to bind the devil in their life. At least it's more accurate. There's another way the word bind is used. It's, it's in a good way. Because it's not inherently a negative word. If you look at the scriptures there in Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 8, it talks about take these words and these laws and the instruction, bind them, tie them to you and bind them on your forehead. So we also bind ourselves to the will of God. And if you choose to pray that way, that's okay too. That's a good one. I just bind my will to the will of God. Lord, I, that's, a, that's a surrender type prayer, but it's a powerful picture. I bind my will to yours. Lord, when my will starts to go astray, you just, you just move and I'm going to feel the tug. I bind my will to your will. I bind your word to my heart. And so there's, there's good binding and there's bad binding. We want to be loosed from anything that is binding us and we want to be bound to his ways. So what happens is... The binding and loosing needs to be applied to strongholds. And we're going to stop now. 8.15's late enough tonight. I've been doing a lot of talking. But strongholds are protected dwelling places. When you have like bomb shelters. Everything's going on bad outside, but we're okay in here. It's a protected dwelling place. And every one of us has some negative strongholds of the enemy in our life. How do they get there? They get there when we are in agreement with a lie. Dad said he'd take me fishing, and he didn't. I know, he's busy. I'm eight years old. Well, then he promised me another fishing trip, but then he doesn't take me. It happens three times by the time I'm nine. Well, all of a sudden, little voices see, he doesn't love you. You're not worthy. You've been a bad boy. And a lie that gets embedded early in our life tends to take root and stubbornly resist the truth later. And the next thing you know, someone comes along and says the same thing. Now there's agreement. There's agreement within and without. And now there's a place where, yeah, God's good, but I'm a jerk. There's this place in our soul where we are in disagreement with truth. And the enemy can dine on that. He can just has, has access because he has a key to our heart then because of the lies. And these can be loosed. And the activity of the enemy can be bound in my life. And that's where we can, we can bind his activity. Not Satan himself, because it says even Michael the archangel, when he was disputing over the body of Jesus in Jude verse 8 to 10, didn't bring a slanderous accusation, but just said, the Lord rebuke you. So we can shut down the enemy's activity by rebuking him. Submit, resist, he'll flee. But he'll come back if the stronghold's there. So what we need to do is... Uh, what I call God's erase and replace program. And to bring the truth that displaces the lie and dismantles the stronghold. Corinthians, it talks about, about 
the, the dismantling all those th- the strongholds and anything that exalts itself against the truth, every argument. So what does a stronghold look like? It's when that inner voice starts arguing with truth. I just think you are, sister, you are such a prayer warrior. And the little voice says, not me. No, I, I, I don't pray like I should. That's a stronghold. I, of course, that's not you. But I'm just saying, you know, if it was, you know, um, that's a stronghold. Where, where is the little voice in you arguing against what you're hearing from the pulpit or where you're hearing around? And then we can ask the Lord either to take us to the earliest memory or we can ask him, what's the lie I'm beginning to believe? And then it came from experiences. Beliefs come from intense experiences. They come from memories. Every time there's an intense experience, we form a belief. Never trust a man or pastors are in it for the money or you can't, you can't, you know, and, and then these beliefs become vows. And when you have made a vow, like, I'll never be married again because that's too much pain, or I'll never do this, or I won't tithe again because I went bankrupt before when I obeyed the tithing message. Like, when that happens, now then you've got a full-fledged stronghold because you are doing the devil's work. You are pronouncing the lie over your own life, and that's a stronghold. So um, I'm going to leave you in a stronghold tonight. And we'll get you out next week, okay? How's that for enticing you to come back? So, you know, stay alive. <laughs> don't die. Don't, don't give up. Uh, but next week we're going to talk about how, we're really going to talk about how to dismantle strongholds, how to use the keys of the kingdom to bind what should be bound, loose what should be loosed. We'll get in a little deeper. And how to defeat strongholds in your life. And I'm believing, right here in this room, we're just going to see some breakthroughs. And I believe, I believe we're getting prepared for the greatest ref- time of refreshing and outpouring we've ever seen. So if we can take care of some of this stuff before, then we'll be ready to receive it, right? Stand with me, please.